You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I, I pray you bring it with you every week. Let's open together to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah, we're still in Jonah 1. It's coming to an end this week, and we'll next week look at that big fish or well, monster, whatever it was. But this week, we, we've got to get there. Jonah 1, we'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. I was thinking myself this week about a gift, several gifts that I've been given in my life that I could have no capacity to repay. So I want to frame that question for you. Have you ever been given a gift that was just so fantastic that you're like, I could never repay that? Like the words, thank you, just that's all I have in English, but they're just not enough. Maybe it come at a great cost financially to the person who gave it to you. Maybe it came at a great cost to them in their time. Like, I can't believe you gave that day, that week, maybe that year for me. Maybe it cost them even more. And you think, I can never repay that. Every time I'm given a gift like that, it always does two things to me. And I pray that it does for you as well in today's message. It, it humbles me. And it inspires me. It humbles me in that I can't repay a gift that I don't deserve. And it inspires me because I want to be that kind of man, the kind of person that gives that gift to somebody else. In our text today, that's the kind of gift that that Jonah gave these sailors. A gift, as we look towards the end of this passage, that they could never hope to repay. And I pray that that gift, as maybe God would allow you to sacrifice for somebody else would not only humble you in Christ, which we've been singing about the whole day, but also inspire you to show that kind of self-sacrificial gift to another. I'm talking about the gift of Jonah's life as he was willing to sacrifice it, as he asked the sailors, just throw me overboard. What an example of that in that moment of Christ to us. But before we get to that, we've, we've got to catch up a little bit. We've got to find Jonah on the boat before he goes overboard. We, we find Jonah in today's text already saying no to God, already telling the sailors that I'm running for God. He already told them, yes, my God is the God of the sea and the dry land. And he just finished telling them that. Now they get a little scared in verse 10. But it, you notice the word order there? That he, he fears the Lord and he serves the God of the sea and the dry land. Usually when you see that in the Bible, it's the God of the dry land and the sea. Maybe Jonah subtly flips that to to help them understand that, yeah, it's my God that I've been running from that brought this hurricane. My bad, right? And as soon as they hear that that is his God that brings the storm and it all settles in, like you and me, they start to become afraid. Let's start reading together Jonah 1 verse 10. The men became extremely frightened. You must say they were scared to death. And they said to him, meaning Jonah, how could you do this? Fair question. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. There's obviously more conversation happening between 9 and 10 that we don't get to hear about. But they're keenly aware of what's going on. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, you hear the ownership here? This is step one, the repentance, ownership. The account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not. 
For the sea was becoming ever stormier against not just him. Look what it says here. Against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Yahweh, O Lord, the covenant name for God, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea immediately stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. What I want us to see today is that it's pointless to run from God. It's pointless to flee from the call of God. So stop running. And either relent, meaning stop the running from his call in your life, or maybe even repent from the sin that you're in. So that God can transform you like he did these sailors with his unconditional, substitutionary love for you. Now, before we get to that moment where he gets thrown into the water, what I want us to see is something I believe that Jonah starts to get right at this text, right at this moment in the text, this, that we should embrace the futility of fleeing from God. I believe that's what he does when he goes over the side of the boat. He's already heard the call of the Lord God Almighty. He's already run from it. God pursued him. He's already realized that what he is doing is disobedience, yet he continues in it. Though he had an intimate and personal relationship with the Father, he ran anyway. And we learn in chapter 4, it's because he hated Nineveh that he ran. See, he knew and he realizes that God is a merciful God. That if the Ninevites would, though they were wicked people, if they would just repent, God would relent in his judgment and save them. And Jonah has to be thinking to himself, they're just not worthy of your love. He hated them like maybe some of us in here today, or maybe you're listening online, you might hate ISIS or some other wicked people. So he ran. Harboring hatred, church, is is a deep-seated and dark sin. I think it's very dangerous to harbor hatred in your heart towards any people group or any person in your life. That's what Jonah did. But as deep as it was and as dark as it was for him, God didn't abandon him. He kept pursuing him. Even though he ran in this hatred towards others, God chased him to the ship. He chased him in a storm. What did Jonah do? He slept. We found that out last week. God sent in his relentless love the the sea captain and the sailors to wake him up. Jonah still didn't relent. And even in our text today, rather than relenting and repenting, he says, just throw me overboard. But what does God do? He continues in his relentless love to pursue Jonah. I want you to know today that God will pursue you as well. And he may be pursuing you right now. God will never give up on you just like he never gave up on Jonah. And God and his love will always be ready to receive you back in a restored relationship at the moment you turn back to him. The sailors realize here before we get to verse 10 that they're in trouble and they become afraid and they ask a fair question. They say, what have you done? The sailors aren't asking that question because they don't know what Jonah did. He just told them. They say, the text tells us he told them. Most like a commentator reminded me this week, it's, it's the question like God asked Eve in the Garden of Eden, what have you done? He knew it as she did. It's the same kind of question that Samuel asked Saul when Samuel knew that Saul disobeyed the Lord and was a sin against the Lord. What have you done? This is the question the sailors are asking. Like, how could you have done this? 
They're flabbergasted, but they're also fearful. You knew the Lord. You knew that he was the God of the sea and the dry land, and yet you disobeyed him. And we, it's basically, what were you thinking? But after they're flabbergasted, they can't imagine, and they're afraid. I think they get a little frustrated. And you hear that frustration come out in verse 11. <laughs> we can assume they're frustrated because then they, after he doesn't answer that first question, they ask him a second question. What should we do to you <laughs> that the sea will become calm for us? What's interesting is Jonah doesn't even address the first question. God gave him an opportunity to repent when they were like, hey, listen, like, how could you have done this? He, he stands there, and I can imagine, I mean, I don't know if he did this for sure, but he kind of gives him the shoulder shrug. Your children ever do that to you when you ask them a hard question, like, what were you thinking? Or why did you do that? Like, oh, no. <laughs> Maybe Jonah's sitting there giving him, like, I don't know. Okay, fine. This is your problem, not necessarily our problem, but we're going to die with you. What should we do to you then? So that the storm stops raging around us. And it's at this moment that Jonah, he feels something. Maybe it's his conscience because he's guilty that other people are now being affected by his sin. Or maybe he's just tired of the whole back and forth thing. He's like, whatever. You know what you can do? He answers them. You can kill me. You, you can just throw me into this hurricane. And then the, sin, the, the sea will become calm for you. Whatever Jonah's thinking in this moment, whether it's a shoulder shrug or whether he wants to die or that maybe he's thinking, I don't want to go to Nineveh, whatever it is that we don't know for sure, we do know this for sure. He started to see the futility of fleeing from God. God, you're not going to give up and I'm not going to give in, so you might as well throw me over. And I think that's a good point for us to highlight today. Would you embrace that reality this morning? Would you see that it is futile to flee from the call of God and stop running and start saying, yes, sir? I remember this moment for me when I finally relented from running from my call. I was in a church service like this. I'd been in many of them. I was in the senior year of college. I was already planning my career in the Air Force. And every Sunday... Every sermon for me had the same application. Surrender to me. I'm calling you. Stop the futility of trying to plan your own life. I'm going to direct it for the rest of your life. And though I heard this, I didn't respond. Now, I'm not saying every message was like today's message that, you know, a surrender to the ministry message. In fact, I found some of those old notes this past week. And many of those notes, I mean, they were like marriage sermons and family sermons and parenting sermons. But God was telling me the same message every week. Surrender. I didn't want to. That's why it took so many weeks. Uh, I was in Air Force ROTC. I was going to graduate at the top of the class. My commander already showed me, Haley, you need to fly an airplane or you need to be a navigator. That's what you did in the Air Force. You went for the airplane. I thought about other cool stuff like pararescue. Tammy said no to that. So I thought about like physical therapy. I, I thought about aerospace physiology. But God kept saying the same thing, surrender. And so finally, one Sunday morning during the invitation, like I'm going to give today, I got out of that pew. I walked down the aisle and I confessed to the pastor that I need to surrender to the ministry. And I think surrender is the right word. I kind of just gave up and gave in. What's interesting, it wouldn't be for like another four or five years where I'd actually get into the ministry. But God's timeline didn't matter. What he wanted for me in that moment was a surrender moment. So what is God asking you to do today? That's the question. Is it a surrender to a new level of service right here at Coggan Avenue Baptist Church? 
Maybe like many of you in 2021, it's like a, a surrendering to a new level of sacrificial giving so the ministry and the gospel goes out more. It may not be to the mission field. It may not be behind the pulpit. It might be to your neighbor. It might be right here in this building that we're in today. If that's your call to something here, membership, baptism, a level of service, we want to help you answer that call. You say yes to the Lord. We'll show you what your gifts are. We'll help you get equipped. And I promise you, we already need the help with volunteers. We're going to start to grow. We need children's ministry, greeters, park. We've got all kinds of positions. Live stream that's coming, media, communications. If God is calling you to serve here, we need you to serve, and we'll help you to do that. But some of you, like me, over, gosh, 22 years ago now, maybe more than that, It's a call to ministry. Maybe it's missions. Can I just tell you, you are in the perfect place. We are such a missional-minded church. We have the connections to the mission-sending agency. If God is calling you to your own Nineveh, maybe in Asia or Africa, we know how to get you there. We can help you get signed up for seminary. We can get you trained up. We can get you prepared up. And we can not only do that, but we can fund you and send you out. There's a legacy of raising up and sending out here at Coggin for decades. I'm just learning this. I'm like, this is awesome. You're in the right place. If it's a call to like some kind of vocational ministry in the church, we got you there as well. We got all the connections and the support you could ever need. We have internships and mentoring programs that can help you right now. I think it's at least three people that are on staff full-time right now were an intern, raised up, sent out, and... And now they've come back. Maybe that's you. Whatever it is, stop running from it. Embrace it and start doing it. The first thing you must do before seminary, before, you know, the IMB, before any mission sitting stage, before any of that, it's you owning it and surrendering to the call. Here's a question you might be asking because I remember asking it. So I thought, maybe I can answer it for him. How do I know that I'm called? Well, first of all, everybody's called to share the gospel and minister in the vocation that you're in. But how do I know that I'm called to a full-time vocation of ministry? The best answer I could come up with is that's the only thing that you're going to be satisfied doing. It's not going to go away. I remember I thought I had the greatest job in the Air Force. I got played paid plenty of money, but yet all I could think about was serving the Lord in full-time vocational ministry. I wasn't satisfied, and neither will you be doing anything else. I read John Stott this week. He's always a great resource, and he gave me three indications of a call to ministry, and I want to share them with you. Number one what is, that, is what I just said, consistency. If God is calling you, it will not go away. You can hide it. You can ignore it. It will still be there. Number two, affirmation. You won't be the only one that feels like you're called. People around you will notice it in you. The church family that's a we're for to help you see it and help you be equipped to do it and send you out to accomplish it. And so that means number three is opportunity. So there'll be a consistency, an affirmation, and an opportunity. I pray today you would learn from Jonah, stop running. Now on the surface, you're thinking, okay, Jonah's ready. He's finally starting to relent from the idea that he can flee from the call of God. But he's not there yet, (laughs) right? He he just finally stopped running. It doesn't mean he's obeyed the Lord to go to Nineveh. Otherwise, 
he would go. He says, nope, you know what? Throw me overboard. Why in the world, have you ever thought to yourself, why in the world would Jonah ask the sailors to throw him into a hurricane? I think it's a combination of reasons that we may not have clearly articulated in the text that we've already brought up. He was probably feeling a little guilty that his sin was starting to spill out on others. That is, the, the heat got turned up in the storm. It's not only him that's starting to get hot, it's the other sailors. And maybe a combination of that, and yet still not quite wanting to be ready to go to Nineveh. Maybe he thought, better to die. That two birds, one stone. Save these guys' lives and still don't have to go to Nineveh. Whatever he thought, we don't know for sure. We know a few things for sure. Number one, the storm that Jonah was thrown into, the waters that were raging that he was cast into, that was the storm that Jonah created himself. That's convicting, isn't it? Number two, we also know that Jonah sacrificed himself. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Wherever his heart was, he was least willing to sacrifice himself for them. And number three, there's still no repentance. Which leads me to my second point today. I call it the better option point. (laughs) What I mean is that there was a better option than Jonah having to be thrown into the water. I know that's what happened. and We get to talk about the will or the fish next week. It's going to be great. But can I just encourage you today? Choose the better option. What's the better option? Relent from running and repent from the sin that you're in. That's the option that God wanted him to choose. That's the option that Jonah could have chosen Not after he got thrown into the water, which will happen. He could have chosen it right there on the deck of the ship. What what could have God have done if he had just chose to hit his knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry, send me on mission now. He could have calmed the storm right there. No fish, no whale, no raging water. It could have happened right there. And that's the option I believe you should choose today. Stop running, relent. We talked about an application of relenting from the call of God. But I think there's another option because Jonah was not innocently running from the call of God. He was in open and unrepentant sin. So not only did he need to relent from the running, he needed to repent from the sin. Maybe that's applying to you today. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you remain disobedient in and you're just refusing to give it up for the Lord. Maybe the storm has come. Maybe people have come into your life. Maybe God's done everything to try to wake you up, yet you still are slumbering in your apathy, and you're convinced that your sin is just hurting you today. It's a lie. It's a lie, church. You need to repent of it. Not only is it going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt those around you, and it's already doing it. Like Jonah, if you're in some deep and dark sin, the overflow of your disobedience will eventually harm those you love the most. But Satan will tell you, oh, that pet sin that you have, it's just hurting you. It's almost like a martyr syndrome. Oh, I just, it's just hurting me, not anybody else. That's a lie. If you're married and you have children, that unrepentant sin is already hurting them. You may not see it. You're like, no, yes. Let's just take one example. What about an addiction to pornography? It's already hurting her or him as your spouse. It's already hurting your children. You're already looking at your spouse a little different. You're already setting up unrealistic expectations for him or for her because of what you're watching on TV or online. It's already hurting how you're able to disciple your children But it's not just pornography. We could go sin by sin. All sin hurts you and those you love. It stains your heart. 
It damages your soul. It makes you short with those that you love. It makes you insensitive to the needs of others. And it blinds you to the destruction you are already causing. It's happening. Oh, I pray that you would repent. Think of the drunk driver. When they're at the bar getting drunk, they're thinking, this is only my brain cells that I'm hurting. But then the moment they get behind the wheel of that car, they're putting every family and every individual in danger because of the decision that they made. Jonah finally starts to see the pain that he's causing others. And he says, you know what? I will fix the situation by removing the problem of the situation, which is me. That's never the right answer. That's a decision that people make out of fear and guilt. God never wants you to solve the problem by removing yourself from it. No, God's solution is always the same. Repent and be restored. Jonah made the wrong decision. Even the sailors know that. Jonah's like, throw me overboard. What do they say to him the first time? Are you crazy? We're just going to get to rowing. (laughs) Why do you think they didn't even acknowledge the fact that he said, throw me overboard, and they just got rowing the shore? I'll tell you why. They're looking at the storm that's ripping the ship apart. And they're thinking, oh wait, that's your God. And he's doing that to you just because you won't go where he wants you to go. You think we are going to throw you, his prophet, into the ocean? Think again. We're going to row. Right? They try to get through it on their own. It doesn't work. And so finally, oh, this is so good. Finally, it's the pagans in this story. It's the sailors in this story that finally do what Jonah should have already done. And in doing so, they're an example to both him and to you and to me today. I see the sailors relenting from their self-effort and rowing. I see them repenting from their lifestyle. And I see them turn to Jonah's God as their God. Look at the text. Remember, these are pagans. They worship false idols. And yet the text says that they called on the who? On the Lord. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you see that in your English Bible, it's indicating the personal covenant name for God. They're not just calling out to all these random pagan gods anymore. They're calling out to Jonah's God, the one and true God. And then the pagans are the ones that say the first prayer in this story. They say, we earnestly pray, oh, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for you, O Yahweh, the God of the universe, have done as you've pleased. I believe this prayer indicates real repentance and what I would call true budding faith. And I believe I'm convinced that this is true from verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that they feared the Lord. Anytime you see that clause, feared the Lord, it's an indication that that individual has true faith in the personal God of the universe. In fact, Jonah himself in this very book said that he feared the Lord. Jonah's problem wasn't belief. <laughs> Jonah's problem wasn't believing in the Lord. It was obeying the Lord. And then it says that they're, not only their, their words were different, but their hearts different. We see it in the prayer. And then real repentance happened. What does repentance mean? It means to change your mind about a sin. And then that leads to a lifestyle change. We see the lifestyle change in this text because it says they made sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to the Lord. They made a commitment to the Lord. And where do you think that these sailors made a sacrifice to the Lord? Where did you make sacrifices to the Lord thousands of years ago? It wasn't on a ship and rarely was it even on dry land. Where was it? It was in the temple. 
I think it's very likely that these sailors had such a life-changing experience from the God of the universe that you and I serve today that after the storm calmed down, they docked the ship and they could have made themselves all the way to the court of the Gentiles in the temple to make sacrifices. Why? Because they were changed. That allows me to do something very special today to extend the call to you who are listening today. The call to real repentance and true faith. If you're here today and you've yet to repent and relent from a sinful lifestyle, now's your chance. If you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sin and trust in him and sacrifice on the cross and the power of the resurrection and your own life for salvation, now's your chance. Today's the day. But you can't just come in here and think, I'm just going to say some empty words and live my life the rest of the time the way I want to. No, that's not real repentance. That's not life change. That's not true faith. You're just saying some words. And you'll leave here and your life will be the same as it's always been. You'll look at sin. It won't bother you. Church attendance, prayer, Bible reading, it won't mean much to you because heaven is not your home. But if you're here today and that conviction, you know it's there because you can feel it. If that conviction of sin is on you and you're ready to make a lifestyle change to trust in the Savior of the world, you ready to receive true faith? I'll be standing right there in that last invitation song. If God is moving in you for a decision of salvation today, I will be waiting for you. You can make that decision today. You don't need me. You can make that decision where you're sitting. You don't even have to wait till the end of the sermon. You can make that decision now. Where you're sitting, you can bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. Be my Savior for today and forever. You can do it now. Or you can text the number on the screen and we can talk to you about it later. Don't wait too long. You can see a pastor at the information booth and would love to help you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to move on to the last point today because they did throw Jonah overboard. And I think it gives us a great opportunity to look at that self-sacrificial moment. I believe in that moment, though his heart's not perfect, in that moment when Jonah says, throw me overboard, and they tossed him overboard, and the sailors were saved from the raging waters, in that moment, Jonah was something called a scapegoat. His sacrifice was for the benefit of others. He was their substitute. And allows me to talk about this point, that substitutionary love is the greatest form of love, the love that Jonah showed his friends. Can you not see the Christ connection here? I love all the Christ connections in this text. Some of them, you know, you look at and you're like, oh, I can remember this story in the New Testament. Others of them, like in this moment, Jesus says, hey, pay attention. I want you to see me in this story of Jonah right here. We're in that moment, church. Now's the time. Look at Mark, not Mark, Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus draws our attention to the story of Jonah. The Pharisees are talking to him. They're asking him to give them a sign to prove himself to them. Jesus responds, Matthew 12, 39, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. And then in verse 40, he says something we'll discuss deeply next week. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Clearly, Jesus is connecting his substitutionary death to this scene in the story of Jonah. Think about it. Jonah reluctantly put his life on the line that resulted in the benefit of others. Jesus, on the other hand, 
willingly substituted himself on the cross for the benefit of all mankind. Think about the story of Jonah. Jonah was thrown overboard into the depths of the sea because of his own sin. Jesus, if you will, was thrown overboard into the depths of sin on the cross for your sin and mine. This is an opportunity in the story of Jonah to to make a hard right turn towards Jesus. To see Jesus is the greater Jonah. To reflect on Jesus and his substitutionary love. To let that both humble you and inspire you this morning. Jesus himself says this is the greatest kind of love. Look at John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jonah was treating the sailors as his friends. You and I are friends of Jesus because he laid down his life for you and for me. He rose from the dead. And if you would but believe, forgiveness would be yours and heaven would be your home. But it's not just so you believe. That substitutionary love that Jonah gives us a glimpse of, that substitutionary love that Jesus showed on the cross, it was meant for us to model and emulate for the whole world to see. So when was the last time you put yourself aside, maybe not over the side of a boat, but when you put yourself second or aside for the benefit of somebody else? And I want you to think right now, how can I do that more? parents, you do it all the time. You don't even realize it. I want to praise you for a moment. I hope you're loving your children like this. I think you are. When you substitute your needs and your wants, and instead you put the needs and wants of your children in that place, that's substitutionary love. Praise God for you. It's a beautiful example for your children. Husbands, you can do this for your wives. When you put your wants and instead of your wants, you substitute it for her wants and you give her that night alone, that weekend with the girls that date night that she needs with you, that's substitutionary love. Is it substitutionary love that the veteran shows when he's willing to lay his life down or her life down on the battlefield so that we can live in freedom instead of tyranny? Absolutely it is. And we need to honor them for that. Is it substitutionary love when the missionary as a martyr lays down his life or her life for the sake of the gospel going forward? Absolutely it is. We need to praise that. But substitutionary love can be seen in your daily life. Not just with your physical life, but in your daily life. Wives and loving your husbands? Again, substituting what you want for what he wants so he can feel cared for and respected at home? Students, you can show friends, you can show that substitutionary love to your friends instead of doing what you want. You move them because you're the one with the truck, right? (laughs) You spend time with them, helping them instead of doing what you want to do. That's an example of substitutionary love. Believer, you show your substitutionary love with your time and your finances. Instead of spending it on yourself, you give it to Lottie Moon. You give your time to go on mission so the gospel can go to Ford to places like Nineveh. Oh, that you would hear and respond to the call to show substitutionary love is a great example of today's text. Can I just end with this? Wherever it is to go, would you get going? Whatever that call is for you to do, would you get to doing? And as the band comes back up to sing, would you just bow your head with me and and ponder this for just a second on your own? This isn't a message for your neighbor, though it may apply to them. You don't have to look at them. Just close your eyes. This isn't a message for them. It's a message for you. Would you do the courageous thing, church, which right now, nobody's looking around. It's not about leaving. Lunch is going to be waiting for you right now. 
Ask yourself, ask God, how does this message apply to me? Are you the one that needs to repent of your sin and stop running from God in forgiveness and salvation? God's ready to receive you today. Just trust in Jesus. Are you the believer that's been running from the call of God to service here at your church? Been running from the call of God to to be baptized because you're afraid of what other people would think? Are you running from the call of God to the mission field because you're like, I don't know, it's dangerous? Are you running from the ministry call because like, I don't know if I'm equipped? Would you see the futility in fleeing from the call of God and just surrender today? And say, yes, Lord. Maybe for you, it's you, you've been showing selfish love to your friends and family. And you need to model greater than Jonah. You need to model Christ and show that self-sacrifice and substitutionary love. How does God want you to show that to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to your friends, to wherever you are a light in the darkness? Where and how? Lord, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you show us? It's the blessed name of Jesus Christ, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.